Good morning. As we gather, let's prepare our hearts for worship by hearing the words of this song. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Fusion. To those of you who are here in this space, as well as those, as those of you who are joining online, we're glad that you're here. And now hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I invite you to stand and worship along with us.
please be seated. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. And for those of you that are joining us, us by live stream, we're glad you're with us as well. Um, I'd like to have a financial update and then a brief um, letter that I would like to read to you um, from our pastoral candidate, um, J.B. Worland. Um, first, the council and staff of Hardwick would like to say a deep and heartfelt thank you to everyone for prayerfully, prayerfully and so generously supporting Hardwick in the final days of 2020. Expenses were fully met and the goal of adding 75,000 to our operating cash balance was exceeded as well. So we're very excited by that. We're staying to poise this, inter, this new year together and enter it in confidence. And we're excited to see what God's plans for this year are for us and what opportunities he may raise. We'll have a full financial report to you hopefully in the next week as we um, finish out the books for 2020 and um, figure out exactly where we stand. So thank you all very much for your generosity. Give yourselves a round of applause. Also from JB, um, Fusion and Greater Hardwick Community, after months of prayerful discernment, we are humbled and excited to share that we'll be joining the Hardwick family, and I'm eager to continue serving our Lord Jesus Christ as the next campus pastor for the Fusion community. Yvonne and I were so warmly welcomed both times we were able to join you for worship, and we look forward to begin building relationships as a family. We look forward to seeing how God will continue to move in, through, and among us to further his kingdom in the Lakeshore area and beyond. We have great hope for what God can and will do as we partner together in our shared love for Christ, his church, and our community. May God continue to prepare, prepare us all in this season for what he has in store for us ahead. So we're... Excited by that um, good news. We'll be working um, with JB and his council um, this week and hopefully laying out a um, transition plan um, for him transitioning out of his ministry at Providence CRC and, and Grand Rapids and joining us sometime this spring here at Hardwick. And we will keep you posted as that unfolds. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. Pray with me, beginning with the first few verses of Psalm 85. The Lord showed, showed favor to your land. He restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure with us. Lord, thank you for being a God who hears our prayers. Thank you for being a God who watches over, protects, and restores his people. Thank you, for this, thank you for blessing this community in so many ways and allowing us to participate in your great plan of bringing your love to the Holland community and beyond. Thank you for the world that we live in. And although that because of sin there are so many blemishes, we also know that there is so much good, beauty, and intricate design that we are blessed to enjoy and be a part of. Thank you for this country. We are so very blessed to live in a country that allows us to freely worship you. There is no doubt that our country needs your leadership and guidance as we move forward into a new year. As a country, help us find unity, motivation, and direction that helps us to better love our neighbors and bring your gospel to those who need it. Thank you for this state and what a beautiful state it is. This past year has been difficult for many of our friends and families throughout the year for many reasons. We pray for those that have been hurt by the loss of loved ones. We pray for those that have been hurt by financial trouble. Grant our leaders the wisdom to help us move forward into a brighter new year. Thank you for the Holland community. We have so many good, generous, and caring people in our city. Help us to continue to be one of the best places in the country to live, not because of business or house sizes or even our beautiful lakeshore, but because we are people that care for each other and out of gratitude for your love. We try to bring love to those who come into contact with us each day. Thank you for Hardwick and its people. This community's generosity through finances, time, and energy is truly inspiring. Help us to bond together stronger so that we can better go forth into our circles, bringing your love and compassion. Thank you for our families. Thank you for our elders and grandparents who bring wisdom and assurance. Thank you to our parents who guide our next generation. 
Thank you for our, for our young adults who bring excitement and creativity. Thank you for our youth who bring energy and promise. Thank you for our children who bring hope and innocence. And thank you for any others in our lives that walk alongside us as we struggle and succeed each day. Bless our time together today, Lord. Help us to hear your words clearly and put them into practice throughout our week. Amen. Thank you, Nate. Oh, let me get a little settled here. A couple of things before we get going. Um, one, every pastor struggles with how do you uh, encourage and support and guide folks in the course of um, life and living. It's been a challenging week. I, I know a lot of folks were hoping that 2021 would be so different from 2020. Well, let me tell you something, and we saw this Wednesday, the problems that we had in 2020, the real problem, that human beings are broken continues in 2021. And the real answer that God himself sent a rescuer for broken people, that continues to be the answer. And so God has called his people, the church, more than to figure out which side am I on. Instead, to think, what does it mean to be the people of God in this moment? And so I'm going to preach just as we had planned. I'm going to continue to preach because I think there's nothing more important than the power of the gospel to change me and to change you and through us to touch our community. I will, <laughs> however, share with you a resource for me. And again, the challenge, my sense, in all of our lives is not so much how do I pick which side or sort through issues. It's much more about how do I live the gospel of God's grace in these circumstances. When, Thursday morning when I got up, um, I got a prayer email from a guy that uh, I pray with every day. This guy posts another prayer, and I tell my folks in celebration that if you want to cultivate a prayer life, nobody has done better than Scotty Smith in terms of giving me a language for praying in light of the gospel of God's grace. And so day by day, I pray with Scotty using these. This is his prayer from that day. It's praying the scripture rather than praying my feelings or my issues. Uh, praying the scripture, and then there is on the back here how you can get these each day like I do. I use a particular organizational uh, app on my iPad. I pray with my iPad. Um, how cool is that? Um, these are up here. I just encourage you to be a part of that. We're looking at what it means to, to live out the gospel. Um, now, the other thing I want to point to, there we go. Surprise, you belong. Back in November, when Aaron and I started to pray through where is God leading us in January, February, and March, we were looking at the gospels, and as we were looking at particular passages, we were struck by how often Jesus would enter into a situation, into a crowd, and it's as if he would take a moment to reach outside the circle and touch somebody on the outside and bring them inside. And it became a great uh, teaching great moment to realize just what it means to be close to Jesus. It's not about where you start in the circle. It's coming to him. And it, it teaches something for those who are on the inside about why you're there. How did you get here? So all for the next seven weeks, then we're going to look at seven um, passages in John where Jesus reveals himself, the I am statements. But for seven weeks coming up here, we're going to look at Jesus encountering people who are outside the circle as he welcomes them in, and it'll remind us of what it means to be inside, to be welcoming to people, to, to have a security ourselves and what brings us here. So we're calling this surprise, you belong. And at every point, I hope what you sense is, whoa, there is a place for me in the band of Jesus followers. And it's not because of what I might have thought it was, but it's always about his grace being at work. Well, this morning, I didn't want to call this grace to the very edge. You can't get away from it. It's that good news. And I'm going to read from a passage in Mark. 
Um, Mark 5, chapter 1, verse 20. And I'll, that's great. If you would press through that while I read, and then I'll take care of the sermon from there. Let us hear the word of God. Now, Jesus and his disciples went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Gosh. When he saw Jesus from a distance, the man ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion came the voice, for we are many. And they begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Hmm. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went to the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were freaked out, is my translation. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Hmm. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus for him to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that region, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were <laughs> amazed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that God the Son entered into human condition in all its brokenness, that he took upon himself our brokenness and has offered us his wholeness. Thank you that as we see this done with this man in the region of the Decapolis, that story was carefully recorded and has been preserved in these texts across centuries now. But we come to it and we ask, Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts and minds to receive and to understand both your conviction and your hope that you would transform us even as you did this tortured man. We thank you for your grace. May it burst out with abundance in our lives. We make our prayer in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, Kind of an interesting passage to start the new year, isn't it? Let me ask you to kind of meditate in it, think in it for a minute. What do you picture with this? What, what goes through your mind? I think, and I would encourage you within the grounds of good health, that you ought to be a little intimidated and scared. It's that kind of encounter. That's really it. I mean, let's dig into the text and begin to see what's at work on this poor fellow. The first thing we see, and I'll read, is he is not just sick, he is spiritually troubled. He is spiritually oppressed. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit, even if I'm not sure what to make of that, I'm reading this and thinking, oh, this is different. A man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And part of the impact of how this has played out in this guy's life is he's socially isolated. The man lived in the tombs. That is far away from where anybody would want to live. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Folks kept their distance. This was a dangerous guy. He indeed was uncontrollable, verse 4, for he had often been chained hand and foot. I mean, picture that. 
But he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one, it says, was strong enough to subdue him. Wow. This, I mean, this is out on the edge, friends. His life is marked by self-destructive behavior. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself. He would cut himself. He's a cutter. He was driven by multiple external voices. The, the conversation between Jesus and the man and this, this other voice. Boy, what do you make of this? Verse 6, when the man saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Odd thing for a man to say. Do you, do you picture Jesus ever torturing anybody? Immediately, even without being able to figure all this stuff out, you know something else is going on here. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Jesus is dealing with two different things here. There's a man, but there's something else. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. What do you picture? What goes through your mind? Now, there's a lot that I'd love to dig into. We've, Aaron and I have pushed a, a number of things to our sermon resources blog post, some fascinating things about the cultural setting here and about a story I'm going to tell you about right now. Um, things that we can only touch in passing, I want to make available to you for your further study, and that will be there. What do you picture when you see this? Now, I've had some ministry experience with these kind of situations that present, uh, it's not really mental illness, it's not really drugs. There's something else going on here. But about two or three weeks ago, Mary Lynn and I were watching Netflix, kind of taking the night off, and we picked a documentary. It was about a city that we were interested in. And basically, the name of this documentary, if I could give it a discreet title, is Our City is Dying. It was a documentary by the local ABC station in this city, and it looked at the challenging urban situation. Now, it doesn't matter which city it is, because frankly, I've seen this in a variety of cities, and I think you could have done this documentary from almost any city. But here's kind of in a thumbnail what was there. This city is falling apart, and a particular sliver of the population, a sliver of the homeless population, is tormented by significant drug abuse, methamphetamines, heroin, fentanyl. That leads to behaviors that put them in a homeless situation. Their addiction continues. It begins to manifest itself in violence repeated. And the city, unable to deal with it, has put together a process where they can respond to a call, arrest somebody, process them, and have them back on the street in 6 to 12 hours. Again and again, the, the narrator for this is saying, is this any way for a culture to treat their most tortured people? Now, like I say, I think you would see this in almost any city. And please don't generalize this to the homeless. If you've had an opportunity to get to know some people in that circumstance, feeding or sharing ministry or just sharing life, I have. What I was seeing in that documentary was a sliver, not the whole population of homeless. But I want to tell you, once I'd seen that in that documentary, I couldn't unsee it. And as I read this text, I'm thinking, oh, yeah. What kind of person crawls into a garbage can on a city street, throws garbage and spits at the police when they try to take them out? What kind of person pushes somebody off their bike and takes the bike and throws it through a storefront glass window? Oh, yeah. What kind of person? I'm not even going to tell you some of the things that they were doing. I've seen that on streets. It's there. That's what went through my mind as I'm reading about this guy. And I began to realize that both this guy in the text and the folks 
on our streets are an extreme circumstance of human experience. This, this is real stuff, but it's to the extreme. I spent most of my life as a parent <laughs> protecting my kids from even being aware of that stuff for a good bit of the time. There comes a point where, you know, okay, now you can handle this. Let's, let's go do some service work with the homeless population. Let's spend a week in Holly Grove in New Orleans. Let's begin to learn and process. This is real human experience. But it's an extreme sense of human experience. It's at the very edge of the bell curve, I want to say. Now, I know some folks start to have palpitations at the prospect of statistics. This is not going to be on the test, but I'm trying to give you here a picture. And are you familiar with the bell curve? It's what they call a natural distribution. Measure a group of any things, and they'll tend to kind of spread themselves out in this way. Most things are right in the middle. Most of us have had a life experience that's kind of in the middle. And, you know, far to that one side is Elon Musk, richest man on the planet right now, we think, and far to that other side. But the vast majority of folks, 68, right there in the middle, then you're up to 95 by the time you get to that blue. It's a natural distribution. For instance, take 100 third grade boys who are all five foot tall, time them as they run the 100 yard dash and their times will kind of spread out like that. Most of us will kind of be in the middle. There'll be a couple of kids that are really fast. Then on the other end is me. <laughs> It just works like that. This afternoon, before, shall I say, the Saints game, um, put some popcorn in the microwave and start timing the popping of the kernels, and you'll hear a pop, 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 fire. The popping kernels kind of distribute themselves in that same way. I'm told that if you take 100 pregnant women with no other medical compromises or challenges, that you'll have a, this kind of distribution in terms of before or early, early or late from their due date. The bell curve fascinates me. There's something significant to this. What I want you to see is that Edgar is far to the edge. He's like right there. This is not a common experience. It's very different. He's at the extreme edge of experience, but it's a human experience. And I want to give this man a name. I'm going to call him Edgar for edge. If he's at the edge, we'll call him Edgar. I was going to call him the edge, but that name's taken. He's playing for the band U2 right now, and I didn't want to. Um, so let's call him Edgar. You know, they laughed at that in celebration. <laughs> do do y'all know the band U2, or is it just celebration? Let's, I, I want him to be a person to you, because he's a person. And I want you to see his experience can be seen in any American urban place right now. It's easy. But it's far to the extreme side. What's important for us to see with Edgar, with this demoniac from Gerasenes, is that his experience is just like ours. It's just more intense. He's unusual with regard to intensity, not with the problems themselves. We are different in degree, but not in kind. He has our problems just more intensely than we do. For example, think about unforgiveness and the voice of unforgiveness that drives life. Let me unpack this a bit. I'll give you a couple of concrete examples. Unforgiveness. I've met and spent time with folks who had a negative experience with the church, wounded, something inappropriate, bad done to them. Now, that could be any, me any number of times, but it's about what you do with it. Hurt by someone at the church, that hurt becomes the reason to never again join public worship. I'm not talking this weekend while I struggle with it. I'm talking a year. You know, the scripture is clear. We're to gather. We're doing that carefully now with COVID. We're looking forward to the time when we're all under the same roof. But we're God's people. Christianity isn't meant to be done in isolation. 
And when someone experiences a wound, what do you do with it? If that becomes the reason to never again join public worship for 10 or 20 years, I want to suggest to you that that person is living a life that's not under their control. They're letting that wound control what they do. Their life is unmanageable. Somehow preserving the wound is more important than joining with God's people. Jesus died and rose again so that we might be a people who have been forgiven. And being forgiven, he wants us to be a people who can be forgiving. He never said we will not be hurt. He just gave us a different resource to deal with those who hurt us. Who was the guy who said, uh, pray for your, uh, or love your enemies? He gave us the impossible task, then he gave us the resource to do it. That's the gospel. We need to struggle with that, friends. Otherwise, these things build, they grow, they run our lives, and that one voice of unforgiveness justifying our anger holding on to it, nursing it. I've had folks talk to me about a negative experience they've had in a relationship, and I thought, oh, have you talked with them in the past week? And they go, oh, no, 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 Pastor. This happened 12 years ago. It was so fresh and raw across 12 years. Their life was out of control. It was unmanageable. You know, insecurity is another thing that uh, we try to hide. When I was doing a lot more student ministry, I would have opportunities to listen to my middle school and high school kids. And I was heartbroken how many struggle with this idea. Do I really have friends? Are they my friends? I remember hearing, and I've heard it more than once, I just think my parents have made arrangements. That's the only reason they call me up or respond. I don't have real friends. My parents have made arrangements. That social isolation, because that's what I'm struggling with inside. People have tried to protect and, and hide because of that deep fear. We carry wounds. A parent's voice, I just don't know what to do with you. What does that become? I think in the internet age, we struggle not only with voices from our past and they pick up speed, but I'm going to call them visual voices. Just like I couldn't unsee those people in the documentary. Let me tell you, you cannot unsee the impact of internet pornography. And it's of a quality and intensity that's different than anything before 10 years ago, believe me. You can get on your cell phone things that Caligula could have only wished for. It's a pressing article in the New York Times about Pornhub and the marketing of child rape. You can't unsee that stuff. With internet pornography and what it does in the mind, it begins to drive... We might keep that, but it begins to drive and push, and it doesn't listen to our commands. A person can be intimate with their spouse, and there's other pictures and other voices. Friends, I want to tell you, if we're honest, I think the difference between Edgar in Mark 5 and each of us on this matter, he couldn't manage his circumstances. We keep the smiley face up, and sometimes it's hard, and sometimes if it's too hard, I'm going to step away. I won't let anybody get close to see my brokenness. I'll meditate on my anger, but I won't let that anger be seen and challenged. I want to manage my image. Edgar was an extreme circumstance of the human experience, but into that extreme circumstance, Jesus entered. He didn't just send to Edgar, a new discipleship plan for how to manage your thinking, how to think only good thoughts, the four steps to controlling your mind, how to manage your image. Jesus entered into Edgar's world. I'm guessing Edgar had a particular odor, but it didn't put Jesus off. 
I'm guessing Edgar was kind of a scary guy, but Jesus would speak not just to him, but to this legion. I'll tell you something that fascinated us as Aaron and I were studying and meditating through this thing. As you look at this, Jesus encounters this man, and he always treats him as a man. He never, Edgar never becomes a project for Jesus. Oh, here's a problem. I'd better fix it. Now, Jesus enters in. He sees that anguish. He sees that brokenness. He smells the smells, the whole deal. But Jesus uniquely knows how to give Edgar what he needs. Not a management plan, but release. He sets him free from the root of this unmanageable life and circumstances. He speaks directly to Legion. He deals with the problem. He always treats Edgar like a like a like a person, not a project. Think of what this would have looked like uh, to the disciples of Jesus. They've been hanging with Jesus for a while now, and they're beginning to shine from his credibility and things are looking cool. He's the cool guy and I'm with him. And then they come to this place, they're already in a Gentile region. That's kind of hard on these good Jewish folks. And then they go to the worst neighborhood and they look at the worst guy and Jesus treats them like a person. And then they see this crazy stuff. My name is Legion. There's some commentary stuff that Aaron accumulated in her sermon resources. The, I had no idea until I re, Aaron pointed this out. The Roman 10th Legion that conquered the, the nation of Israel and fomented the Maccabean Revolt 200 years earlier, they had as their emblem the boar, i.e. the pig. These pigs were probably used in the religious worship of the Romans. He was not just disrupting a farm. He was poking Roman worship in the eye. I mean, this is heavy stuff. Well, his disciples are like this, and then Jesus invites this guy in. You're one of us. It should remind the disciples why they're on the inside. They're on the inside because of God's grace, the same way Edgar got there. And that's the good news, friends. It's so challenging, but here's Jesus inviting and meeting needs. It's powerful. And it's good news for us because Jesus enters into our world in a middle school, how hard-pressed that is, in a business that's right on the edge, in in a marriage where it's just pressing hard. Jesus enters into our world, and he does that to set us free, not simply to to give us a new management plan. Mostly what Jesus wants to do is set us free from our highly managed life and circumstance. For so long, discipleship has been about navigating behaviors. If I can get you to behave right, it'll all work out. Jesus wants to go deeper, and that's the good news. He enters our world, and he wants to set us free, not just give us new management tools. In closing, let's go back to the bell curve. If life were a calculus class, and I don't know what class it was for you. For me, it was calculus. Just about killed me. Maybe it was public speaking. Maybe it was macroeconomics or anatomy or or physical chemistry. I know for a lot of my uh, pre-med friends when I was a freshman, physical chemistry is what moved them from pre-med to a business major. (laughs) Whatever that class is for you, Edgar's the guy in the class who got 3% on the final exam. Worst grade by far in the class. He's just out there. Past where the bell curve ended. I'm in the class thinking, whoa, I did 12 times better than Edgar. I've got like a 40%. And that is 12 times better. But it's still on the downside of the midpoint. F, big guy, you have failed. And I might push on a little. If you were grading my outside, you see, I'm, I'm old. And I'm not saying my sanctification is any better, but I'm just so slow and tired, I can't sin like I used to. I'm saying if you look on the outside, I'm doing 85%. But do we all understand that if you could see inside of me, 
it's lower than that. I'm not going to tell you how much lower. You see, that's all of us. The good news is this, that there is one person and only one ever. And he is one of us. And he got not just top grade, but 100%. And the good news is this, that he wants to take his grade and give it to me and give it to you. That's what the gospel is, his grace, his life for mine. But here's what comes with it, friends. He will take your grade and he will give you his, but he doesn't do that so that you can now go and live any way you want. He gives that to you so that he can live his life in and through you, in and through you. He wants the life of the Spirit to not only give us that full grade, his righteousness, transforming us after the image of Christ, but to live through us and to make a difference. Do your neighbors benefit by what God is doing in your life? They ought to. That's the way this gospel works. Is your business different or the team that you lead when you speak into this crazy world? Does it reflect the power of the gospel? I want to tell you, friends, this is how God desires to work. Here's how I'd like to express it. It's this, because I belong to him, that is Christ. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Are you wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him? That's the promise of the gospel. Now, some of you recognize those words. Do you know what they are? Friends, that's the Heidelberg Catechism. Dutch folks have been reminding ourselves of that for, what, four, five hundred years now? That's question number one. What is your only hope in life and in death? And that's my hope, that because I belong to him by his grace, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life. I sleep deeply at night, even when I mess up my life. He makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. There's the gospel, friends. Are you living in that fullness? Does that describe your life? If it doesn't, don't feel shame. Please don't go out and try harder. This is how grace works in us. Step back, and when I pray, be excited. You could do that in my life? Yes, Lord. That's what he wants to do. That's a picture, a statement of what he did in Edgar's life. If he can do it for Edgar out on the edge, he can do it for us folks in the middle. It's not about managing our behaviors. It's about being set free to be all he would be in us. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God and Father, we are amazed at your grace. I pray where it's become routine for us, when it's been about managing our behavior or uh, living up or perhaps not being known, that you would touch us so deeply with your love that we would begin to face both our need and your provision. That's the key. Two steps. Our need, his provision. Father, in this moment, we say thank you. We respond with gratitude. Have your way. We say yes. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand and worship with us.
I could just picture Edgar singing with us. My chains fell off, my heart set free. Listen to the last verse of the um, passage we preached from. Edgar, the man who had been demon-possessed, begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The way to be with Jesus is to go. Hear this in the benediction. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go and be with Jesus as you go. Amen.